Open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. This is the first of what is right now an eight-part series. Um, there are more parts to be written, so I can't tell you exactly how long it might be, but this is by far uh, my favorite of all of them. Isaiah chapter 35. I've entitled this, as you'll see in the next few weeks, uh, all of these titles have a P in them. This title is the prospective of God. And prospective is kind of like a prospective client or a prospective customer on a sales lot. The sales guy comes out and sees them as a prospective customer because they intend to make him one. And this is the prospective of God. This is taking what, uh, what we will see described here and the Lord using it for his intended purposes. The Lord changing it or making it into what he had intended for it to be. And uh, kind of a, an old school tactic to my outline, the alternative title is The Highway of Holiness, uh, which I will, uh, admittedly, that part is not the newest part of this message. This, uh, the frame of this outline is one of my wife's favorite messages, so I pray that it will, uh, it will live up to the, the pressures and the expectations she has of it. Isaiah 35, I want to read the entire chapter. It says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. And this lines up uh, very, very well with the devotional I tried to skip this morning, Psalm 145, that Brother Steve read. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, the, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beasts shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to preach and teach your word, for, uh, for the local visible assembly of your true church, Lord, here in Mantachi. And we ask, Father, that each of us not take that lightly, that each of us consider our commission. Consider the command of this very text, that we uh, strengthen our weak hands, that we consider the feeble knees, that we consider the fearful, and that we point them to you. We ask, Father, for unction. We ask, Father, for bravery. We ask, Father, for uh, the ability to, be, to stand unashamed of these precious truths. Open up our hearts and minds. Remove distractions from us this day, Father, that we would give all attention to your word and your command for us this day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our joyful hopes 
and prospects of eternal life should swallow up all sorrows and even all the joys of this present time. I don't know if we've ever thought about that, but even our most joyous times here in this land, here in this life, will be swallowed up by comparison by the everlasting joys that await in the kingdom. That's really hard to imagine. The joys of a newborn baby, the joys of, uh, of marriage, all the joys of this life are nothing. They're swallowed up in comparison to what waits the born-again believer in the kingdom. But to what avail is it to admire the excellence of God's word unless we call its precious promises our own? What good does it do for you here today if you don't know these promises to be yours? If you aren't saved, if you aren't born again, then what good is the kingdom of heaven? What good are these descriptions? What good is the highway of holiness? What good are these commands and these promises and these everlasting joys? What good is it for you that Christ Jesus overcame the world if these promises aren't yours? Do we love God? Sunday school students, not only as our creator, as you learned this morning in the other room, but do we love God because he gave his only son to die for us? Do we love God because he made a way? Though we didn't deserve it, he showed great mercy upon his elect. Do we love him for that? Are we walking in ways of holiness? I pray that as we go into this study, as we see the alternate title of the highway of holiness that we consider our calling to live holy lives right here right now not something to strive to be able to do in the kingdom but that we actually strive to be holy for he is holy that we strive to be rid of and be done with not only the distractions of this life but the traditions of men the plagues of men the habits of men the first thing I want to discuss dealing with the very first verse in Isaiah 35 is what is the wilderness. And if you'll turn back to Isaiah 33, the book of Isaiah is very good to leave no stone unturned. It explains itself. Isaiah chapter 33, verses 1 through 14, it says, uh, Isaiah writing, Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled. And dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, and thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself the nations were scattered. And your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Behold, they are valiant ones. These are the brave ones. These are the fighters. These are the Joshuas of the group, the ones who would go to battle without hesitation behold these valiant ones they cry without the ambassadors of peace these are the ones who are uh, charged with delivering the message of peace they weep bitterly the highways lie waste these highways that are referenced here these are the highways that these uh, valiant ones that these ambassadors of peace were to take the message that they are 
commissioned to deliver in chapter 35 was to be taken on that highway. What do we read in our text? Strengthen the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees, say to them that are fearful of heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even with a recompense. That was the message that they were to deliver, but we read here of the highway that it lies waste. The wayfaring man ceaseth. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. I can't help but think of Jonah. I will not go to Nineveh. I will go on a ship in the opposite direction to Joppa. This is what I think of when it says that they had despised the cities. Where do we give the gospel? Do we only give the gospel to those who probably already know it, who already know us? Or do we go in unto the cities, into the dangerous places, into the, the parts that are most dark and scary unto us? I know she's here, but I'm going to say it. Do we go to California with the gospel? Do we go west, young men, young women? And do we deliver the gospel of hope, or do we despise these cities? We're in a land now and a place and time in which we say our nation despises us, Christians. But I wonder if we didn't despise our nation first. I wonder as uh, cities rose in wickedness if we didn't write them off and say that it's not worth taking the gospel to New York City. It's not worth taking the gospel to Memphis. It's not worth taking the gospel and so on and so forth. Have we despised these cities? Have we broken the covenant? The earth mourneth and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness. And Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. Hear, ye that are far off, what I have done, and ye that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Who among us shall go against God and find ourselves triumphant, beloved? Is that not what we've done if we've despised these cities? If we have neglected our commission, have we not said we shall be triumphant over God? He doesn't rule over us. Have we not rebelled? The land described here is described as wilderness, a solitary place. It signifies in Scripture a dry place, a desert, parched or scorched ground. Forsaken, one might say. At the exalting of God here in this text in verse 3, the nation scattered, the people fled. Something to note there, that though the people in these cities were neglected and despised by those wayfaring men, by those charged to go and speak of God's judgment, to speak of the importance of repentance as we heard here this morning, they still heard God's voice. Every knee shall bow, as we said last Sunday. Where did they flee to if even the land they dwelled in was so ruined? Where did they go? Our text in chapter 35 is spoke of a great change. If we put chapter 33 and 35 next to one another, it's very different, is it not? The text of this message in the first 14 verses of chapter 33. 33 starts with a woe. 
And Steve was pointing out how the chapters and the books end and begin. Uh, it's telling, is it not? Woe to thee that spoilest. And we might have started to think in verse 1, it wasn't talking about us. And the Israelites probably would have thought, it's not talking about us. It's talking about them heathens. It's talking about possibly them Ninevites. Those dirty Samaritans. Those Gentile dogs. Uh, no. No. It's talking to, about them that much is expected because much has been given. It says in, 35, in chapter 35, it gives us the, the, the qualifications of these wayfaring men. Weak hands, feeble knees, fearful heart, blind, deaf, lame, dumb. These are the ones who are to be used of God. Because the next thing our minds do is say, well, if it's talking about us, it's talking about them leaders, those speakers, those teachers and preachers. It's talking about maybe them singers that have the ability to do these things. It's not. It's talking about weak-handed, feeble-kneed, fearful-hearted, blind, deaf, lame, dumb. They're the ones to be used of God. Because the physician wasn't seeking those who were whole. He was seeking those who needed healing. He wasn't calling the righteous unto repentance. He was calling sinners. He was calling them to be used. He was calling them to rectify an error on their part, not his. He was calling for them to go out unto all nations teaching, speaking of what Christ Jesus had done for them, about Christ Jesus' true church. The land that was described in our text in chapter 35, verse 9, is now, it once bore fruit, but is now laid waste by man. The valiant ones that are described in verses 7 through 8, they're heroes, the ambassadors of peace. The wayfaring men had ceased their travels of the highway. They had broken their covenant uh, and this is in chapter 33. I think I said 35. I apologize. Isaiah 33, verses 7 through 8. They are seen here as despising the cities, regarding or caring or caring for or considering the condition of no men. That's what this word regarding means. Caring for or considering the condition of no men. Is there a day in your week in which you do not regard the spiritual health of any? I'm going to tell you, I have those days. Siri has those days, apparently. I don't like being interrupted by technology. Do we have days in our week where we aren't focused on the commission of God? I bet we do. Do we do any better than these that is spoken of in Isaiah? Why do we find ourselves in need of revival? Ourselves. As we talk about a potential revival meeting. God hasn't changed. God hasn't departed. His expectations have not deviated. His provisions have not been eliminated or used up. Or evaporated. As the old preachers say, who moved? It's us. We've moved. Left to themselves, what could these wayfaring men do that we describe here? These blind and weak-handed and feeble-kneed and so on. What could they do on their own? Well, it tells us that in Isaiah 33 as well. They can bring forth chaff as dry grass, which burns easily, by the way, as stubble. 
They can be devoured by their own breath, their own works, their words, their actions, their inactions, swallows them up. What will become of them? We see in Isaiah 33 the phrase burnings of lime. And the word lime here is, uh, it describes a type of whitewash or substance that comes from burning bones. Just bones burnt clean, in a sense. It also, we see the phrase, as thorns cut up, and it references again here, sin. As we see that thorny bush brought back into play. And these thorns always represent the, 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 the pricks, as Jesus said to Saul when he called him out on Damascus Road, hard to kick against the pricks. That is the, 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 the pricking of sin. That sin is not, it is never committed without punishment towards the committer. And it continues to spread as that vine grows. And this thorny bush shall be burned up, praise God. As we see in Isaiah 35, the Lord has supremacy over that as well. The highway, as we see in 33, has been laid waste. The wayfaring man ceaseth. The wayfaring man failed. The wayfaring man strayed. We see in verse 8, broken up here, he hath broken, he hath despised, he regardeth not. Write verse 8 on your hearts. How does verse 8 hit us of Isaiah 33? He hath broken. He hath despised. He broke the covenant. He despised the cities. And he regardeth not any. He careth for no other man. The second thing to notice is what of the promised fulfillment of our text? Isaiah 35 says it won't always be this way. Isaiah 33 speaks of the present-day situation, which applies really well to our present-day situation. But it says in 35, two chapters later, it won't stay this way. So what do we see in Isaiah 33:13? Hear ye that are afar off what I have done. And ye that are near acknowledge my might. This is God. He is the one that caused the people to flee when he rose up. He's the one who will be exalted we see in chapter 33 the wrath of God upon the world because his own forgot and forsook him. Judgment's coming for the ones who will never know him. This particular wrath is on those who have forsaken him. Those who have been called to a work and forsook it. Could this happen today? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Could this happen today? We look for the rapture. We long for the rapture. I want to use a phrase that could probably be taken wrong. But do we deserve the rapture? Again, salvation is not earned by man. You all know that I've been clear on that in the past, and I stand fast on that. That's what Scripture says. But have we lived missionary lives as commanded by God in which it's quitting time, in which it's time to go home? Have we lived lives deserving of any sort of crown? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves. Isaiah 33, 14, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Anytime we see the word hypocrites, we should pause. Because it's generally used towards those religious individuals. Can't even say zealots. But sometimes zealots, those religious individuals that believe they've got it all figured out, 
They've got the scribes in their hip pocket. The law's written just for them. They're safe as far as the rules of man. They're so overly religious that they make the rules for everyone. The Roman Catholic Church is referenced, and not by name by Steve, but it's, it's right there in Revelation uh, where he was reading here this morning. The harlot, she's made her rules. It's easy for us to say, but she is a hypocrite. What of us? What of us, Baptists? We're real good at washing the outside of the cups, too. But what of the inner man? Have we repented? Have we come clean before God? If necessary, have we come clean before church, before fellow man? Have we confessed our faults one to another? Have we sawn, sawn, sought to be rid of filthiness in our lives, of traditions of men, of these wicked things that draw us down, that vex our very souls? Or do we clean ourselves up real nice, throw on a head covering, ladies, and come to church as though nothing has happened? How often have individuals come through that door and walked back out again, calling us hypocrites, saying that we don't stand for the things we preach. We don't live the life that we would expect them to live. It is to our shame, whether it be true or not. We are to abstain from all appearances of evil, so that that is never the case. It'd be better for one to walk back out the door and say, I can't live a holy life like what's described there rather than walking out and saying they can't live a holy life like what is described there. The word Zion, by the way, means parched place. It's a name or a reference to Jerusalem whom God loves. He chasteneth, Deuteronomy 8.5, Proverbs 13.24, Hebrews 12, verses 6-7. through 7. We see it throughout the Old and the New Testament. And to say that this would not happen today is to attempt to say that God has left none of his remaining on the earth. Or, it's an attempt to say that God has changed, that he is mutable. Of course it would happen. God takes very seriously what he's called for his people to do. Every time Abraham forsook the truth, that plan that he laid out in his heart, and what Steve touched on again in Sunday school, lined up real well with this, is that there is a permissive will. It doesn't mean that God didn't know it was coming. But he saw it coming, and he allowed for the things to come out of it that were going to come out of it. Romans 8.28 doesn't lose its power here. Go over and read Romans 8.28. This is the defense that many will say, oh, well, then this isn't accurate. Or, or to Steve's point this morning, those who uh, talk about foreordaining and they misuse or misappropriate its, its, its use. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It does not say here, and we know that all things work together goodly or well or prosperously. It doesn't say here that all things work out just the way Brother Steve wanted them to or the way Joe wanted them to or the way Isaac had desired for them to. It says that all things work according to his will for the good of his people, those whom he had called. And it doesn't say it'll always be easy. And it doesn't say that we will always find it beneficial. But for Isaiah 33 to become Isaiah 35, do we agree some things had to change? What do we see of the description of the wayfaring man there? Go back again. He hath broken, he hath despised, he regardeth not. Will he be found in the kingdom as such? Will he be found good and faithful? On the day of his calling home, 
Some things have to change. So let us consider what happens between the lowest state of man in the beginning of Isaiah 33, the deserver of woe, and our text in Isaiah 35, which now appears more as a promise. Let us read the remainder of Isaiah 33, starting in verse 15. He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Thine heart shall meditate terror. Where is the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counteth the towers? Thou shalt not see a fierce people, a people of a deeper speech than thou canst perceive, of a stammering tongue that thou canst not understand. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. Neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall a gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And we see all that in Psalm 145 that was read earlier. The tacklings or the bindings are loosed. And this makes sense because in Romans 8, verse 1, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation to them, because the bindings have been loosed. The tacklings have been loosed. They could not well strengthen their mass. They could not spread their sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey, and the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. To Steve's point. Look again at how Isaiah 33 begins, and look again at how Isaiah 33 ends. How are woes turned into forgiveness? How are those that deserve such wicked chastisement forgiven, rectified in the eyes of God? What makes all of this possible? Mark in your Bible verse 22. If John 16, 33 is my favorite verse, this is uh, right up there with it. I'd say favorite probably 1.2. Isaiah 33, verse 22, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. I've already preached an entire revival just on that one verse. <coughs> it was when COVID started. Isaac, I think, was one of five people that got to hear it. It's a very powerful verse. And this same promise, uh, illuminated by Brother Steve this morning, is in Psalm 145. He will save us. And in this verse, he says how it's possible. In this verse, he conveys his own attributes that will make possible forgiveness. Salvation, as it says there. He will save us. What of the wayfaring man? Their charge from God was to strengthen ye the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees, say to them that are a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and he will save you. It's echoed there in verse 35, or, or Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 4. 
The cry of the faithful wayfaring man fulfilling the charge formally given above is heard throughout chapter 34, which for time's sake, you'll have to give credence to read through tonight. How does 33 get to 35? Well, there is some stuff that happens in the middle. But as you read through it, understand that there is a charge given. God does not show weakness in chapter 34. God is firm. He is ever firm. He is eternally firm. And that he is always ruled by his absolute holiness, his absolute righteousness. He is never wavering. Even an ounce of wavering means he's not absolute anything. So he is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, and absolutely without sin, without wavering. He cannot change. God forbid. That's how Paul spells it out throughout the New Testament. Can he lie? Can he deceive? God forbid. He, in his essence, forbids it. He will not allow it. He's not a supreme man. I can say that I will not allow myself to eat another stuffed crust pizza. But if she goes out of town, so does that guy. I'm going to have a stuffed crust pizza. God's not like me. He's absolute. He is absolutely perfect. He is holy. He's Holy, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. He's also thrice holy. He cannot waver. He cannot deceive. If he were to deceive us, he deceives himself, which cannot be. He's worthy of worship, is he not? He's worthy of praise. Go to that last psalm that Steve referenced this morning. Steve's made this sermon so long, I don't think Olmstead will listen to it. <laughs> but if you listen to, uh, or rather, if you read that last psalm, what a, what a wonderful way to, to end psalms. Psalm 150, Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power. In all of those places, he's worthy of praise. Verse 2, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. In all of these deeds, he is worthy of praise. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery of harp, uh, psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And everything that has breath, got it from Him. And all of these instruments, the idea of song, the idea of praise, also came from Him. The burning pitch, the wrath of God, it says it shall not be quenched in verse 8. We see why. Because the word controversy in, in, in this text, and it's in Isaiah 34, verse 8, I believe. We'll go over there and read it. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. This word controversy can also be translated and is translated elsewhere as cause. It is the cause of Zion. It is the meaning of Zion, the purpose of Zion. The wrath of God shall not be quenched. What happens in Egypt for the nation of Israel as the blood is put upon the doorposts? It doesn't quench the wrath of God. It passes, he passes by, does he not? He passes over the blood. It identifies his children. It identifies the blood of Christ. But it doesn't quench his wrath. His wrath shall be burned. His, his wrath shall be expend, uh, 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 spent. 
Israel is a picture here of the Lord's church. This land is not short of its Edomites. By his hand came there an unbreakable cord, a line that divides, and to them he hath chosen, they will possess the land of promise. They will possess the kingdom of heaven forever. As we said here yesterday in the memorial, no less time than when she first began. Chris has been there a little over a year, and even more delights await. It can't be spin up. The same as God's wrath is the equivalence of God's pleasure. And if you're born again... You are joint heirs of God's pleasure. The sureties of David, everlasting life, is yours. These, this change from 33 to 35 that speaks of the land, it speaks of God's wrath. It also speaks of the sinner born again. This highway of holiness is where we are to dwell. It's where we are to work. In verses 8 through 10 of Isaiah 35, we read, in highway of holiness, or in highway, shall be there. And a way, it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Underline redeemed. If you've got enough room in your margins, write your name in parentheses, by redeemed. That's where you're going to walk. That's where you're going to dwell. Verse 10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You can write in the margins there as I'm doing Psalm 140, uh, Psalm 150 rather that we just read. That shall be our song. As we go about this way of holiness, this highway of holiness, singing and praising his name, there's left no doubt between these two chapters that it's all of God and not of man. What did we do as we rode up and said, we shall vanquish the Lord. We shall rebel against him. We shall not be faithful unto him. As his wrath appeared, we flee. The cities were empty. Man could not stand against God. A sad but real example. What did man do to stop the hurricane that just rolled through that island in Florida? As I was talking to Brother Justin Meyer, his mother lives down that way. And this is not something I shared in the text. He's devastated. He spent part of his life there. And he said, his mother said, the bridges are gone, and there's bodies everywhere. What can man do in the face of the wrath of God? This same God that can orchestrate and set in motion hurricanes and tornadoes that we can't conquer of ourselves. What hope do we think we have that we might put off until the day of judgment and argue our own case? You'll do no such thing. You who have an intent to lie your way into heaven will not even be able to speak but the truth. What will you say? Think about it for a minute. If you're here and you're lost, and if you had no ability to lie anymore as you stand between, in front of the throne of God, and you can't lie, what are you going to say? Well... I was born in full rebellion to you, and I remained there. 
even still. What will you say? There's countless individuals come and visit us here. And even the last one, I'll be back. I'll bring my wife next Sunday. I'll be back. I find myself as a pastor in 2022 just begging them to go ahead and just read their Bibles. Because I don't think they'll come back. And most times they don't. And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to be honest with you. Sometimes we only have one small moment in time with another living human being that might walk through that door or stand at the gas pump next to you. Our goal is not to force them into a promise they can't back out of. Because what good is the promise of man? It's not our responsibility to barter with them, coerce them, or, or, or bribe them into coming to church. We can't get our members to come to every service. You're not going to make a visitor. Our only responsibility is to talk to them of their need of a Savior. Our only responsibility to even the most common of strangers, even the most wicked of cities, is to tell them that they have but one hope if they are to escape everlasting torment, if they are to be able to stand in judgment and plead anything, it has to be Christ Jesus, or they will plead nothing. That's our responsibility. We leave it to God if they'll come back. We leave it to God if they'll receive the truth at the pump. We leave it to God if they'll do anything with it at all. You'll get no one to be saved, truly saved, by saying, we have the best pastor. You need to come hear him. Y'all have heard me. I'll let you down the very first time they've come in the door. And no one actually wants to hear the truth of God's word. We preach it, we're called to preach it, we're called to teach it, but many of us who are born again don't really want to hear some of these things because we hide from the Lord. We hide in, in other clefts as to not be seen. The highway being described here is described as the way of holiness, is the very road in which I hope we get to study for the next few weeks, Lord willing. This road, this highway, the unclean shall not pass over it. The wayfaring are not to stray from it. No lion, which, first, which Peter describes in 1 Peter 5.8 as roaring and seeking whom he shall devour. No lion is able to dwell on it. If you are born again and you desire to be free from the temptations of this life, the sorrow that comes from disappointment, the hurt that comes from confusion, you better seek this road. For though it is not well traveled, it's perfectly paved. Will you never again be tempted? Of course you will. How do we overcome temptation? Faith in God. How is our faith strengthened? Living a holy life. Living a life that pursues after Him. Isaiah 34, verses 16 through 17. It says, Seek ye out the book of the Lord, and read. If that's all verse 16 said, it'd be enough to shatter some hopes. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. And he hath cast the lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever. 
from generation to generation, they shall dwell there. I wonder if I can try to use maybe some modern day Joeisms here for what Isaiah is saying here. He's confessing that he's being used to write this book. He's being used to write unto these that they have forsaken their God. And I wonder if any uh, would pick up a book today that they've already read and expect it to read differently the second time around. And this is kind of what Isaiah is referencing here. Seek out the word of God and read it. Will Abraham not be a friend of God this time around? Will Isaac not be spared on Mount Moriah the next time we read through and study Genesis 22? Or will we find God faithful every time we read Genesis 22? Might want to add here the KJV. Who knows what the next modern translation will say in Genesis 22. Will Isaac be, uh, be allowed to perish on Mount Moriah the next time we read it? Well, any common adult would say, No! He shall be delivered! The ram will be caught in the thicket by the head, and the angel will cry out, Abraham! Abraham! Stop! And it will go that way every single time we read it, Pastor. Well, such is God. He shall not change. He will not forsake his elect today. He has not forsaken his elect yesterday. And he will not forsake his elect tomorrow. As sure as Genesis 22 reading the same way every time you read it is the sure promises of God. Praise the Lord. We should expect no less. We should expect no less than Isaiah or Genesis 22 to end the same way every time. And we should expect no less from God as we beseech his involvement in our lives, as we, uh, as, as we attempt to walk this holy highway. I don't have a prosperity gospel to offer. And I'm not charged with sparing you from the truth. Why should you desire to lead a holy life? Why should you desire to do things God's way? Because born-again believers should not be found halt between two cities. This road that's described here, it leads from Babylon, the city of destruction, to the city of promise, where the tree of life dwells. You're walking on the road that's described in Isaiah 34. And it will always lead away. It will always lead towards that city of destruction. As we said in our Genesis study, the, the gears were set in motion as Babylon was established, as Nimrod began this attempt to usurp God. And they're still there, are they not? The highway still goes from one city to the other, and there are an ever large amount, a multitude, exceeding multitude, hitting the other way on this highway. Some knowingly, some unknowingly. To what avail is it to admire the excellence of God's word, as we said in the opening, if his promises are not made our own? That's what holy living means. Making his promises ours. Making our calling and election sure. Knowing that we know that we know that we are his. And living like it. Not living in such a way that you convince me, or your neighbor, or your spouse, but living in such a way that your very testimony, what does it say in the New Testament? Be ready always to have an answer for those who ask for the hope that lieth within. Do others ask you about your hope? Have you ever been asked, 
What is the source of your hope? What keeps you so happy? What keeps you smiling in these days of devastation? In the last three years, we should stand out like a sore thumb, like my grandma used to say. We should be so clearly different from this world that's just waiting for Biden to forgive student loans or is just waiting for the king to correct climate change or is just waiting for man to figure out how to keep from perishing. We actually have a hope, a lively hope, a true hope. We have every reason to live a holy life, every reason to strive to be more like him. Will today be the day that the ransomed of the Lord, the children of the King, truly begin to live as such. This is the message that I've been led to start this revival with in Olmsted. It's the, less, the message that begins the rest of our year, because I'm confident that we'll get to the end of the year before this study is concluded. We might not like some of the things the attributes of God reveals, those who love the Lord, this is one of the one of the most exciting studies I think I've ever done. I just constantly, as we turn through the Word of God, seeing there's not there needs to be a better word than attribute. It's the character of God, really. Seeing it portrayed and never changing, hearing Steve teach, hearing the devotionals read, and seeing it's as true there as it is that in the other places in which I've cited. I could have added everything Steve said in his Sunday school lesson to this very study because God never changes. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're missing out on some excitement. You're missing out on uh, great hope, everlasting life, sure. But it is exciting. It's exciting to know that the one who created all things is still actively involved in his creation. He's not just set us in motion and just waited to see how things worked out. He's actively engaged. The vision, this revelation that, that Steve's been teaching us about, it was real. And the Lord called John unto it. The book of Jonah that we studied a few weeks back. God was actively involved in Jonah's ministry. Otherwise, Jonah, we would read about Jonah and Joppa. The alliteration would have been fun for a preacher, but it wouldn't have been the same message. Instead, we read of Ninevites repenting. The judgment of the Lord is coming. What will we do? Born-again believers, will we continue to despise the cities? Those who are here and lost, will you learn from the Ninevites that God cannot be conquered Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Pursue after the way, not another way, the way to everlasting life.